Hi, this is Janine Yorio of Republic Realm, where we're revolutionizing the metaverse real estate space. I'm on The Edge of NFT, the podcast bringing you all sorts of revolutionary projects in the NFT space every episode. Stay tuned. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out why metaverse real estate isn't real estate at all, or is it? How today's guest hopes to live on as little sleep as possible and also live that sleep-free life forever. And finally, find out how ETH Denver has been predicting the future of crypto and NFTs without fail for years. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Janine Yorio, CEO of Republic Realm, a metaverse innovation and investment platform Republic Realm is among the largest owners of digital real estate NFTs in 24 metaverses, including Decentraland, The Sandbox, and Axie Infinity, and among the most active developers of in-metaverse developments, including the Metajuku Shopping Center and the Fantasy Islands ultra-luxury master-planned community NFT project. Janine was previously the CEO of Compound, a fintech app focused on real estate investing that was backed by leading VC firms NEA and Founders Fund, which was acquired by Republic in 2020. She also previously worked in private equity for Northstar Capital and in real estate and hotel development at the Standard Hotels. She is a graduate of Yale University. Janine, welcome to Edge of NFT. Hey guys, how are you? We've got another Yale grad guy formerly deep in the real estate commercial real estate business on this show it's not me and it's not ethan so take a guess who Oop, go bulldogs what's up yeah let's just you know kick these guys out of here and uh, and just talk real estate game you know <laughs> uh, let's not and say we did <laughs> yeah obviously we're both refugees from the real estate industry so clearly we find this a lot more compelling that's right that's right when I met you and the whole team in Miami, I was so pumped because we've been watching sort of you since the news broke about Republic Realm and, and what you're doing. And it sounds like you guys have been very busy. It would be great to sort of understand the genesis of this concept and how it came together. And then let's dive in deeper. Sure. As you already revealed, spoiler alert, I used to work in the real estate industry. I did for a very long time. Like any good real estate, fintech, prop tech entrepreneur, I'm always a little bit too early and doing things that are new and a bit of an early adopter. And one of the things I had been following with some of my colleagues was metaverse real estate because it has the words real estate in it. So we felt like we had to. And a bunch of us put our money together and bought plots of land in central land last fall, actually fall of 2020. And we were having a lot of fun doing it. And kind of making, we didn't sell, so we didn't actually make money, but we were certainly watching price appreciation happen. And we felt like if we were doing this, then other people might want to do it too. So we had just sold our startup to an equity crowdfunding company called Republic that was in the business of creating investment products for retail investors. So we thought as an experiment, let's put up a card on their website that says Metaverse Real Estate Investments and see if anybody clicks on it. And one of the first people that clicked on it was Galaxy Digital. We went from this investment product, this concept that was kind of meant to be something on the third page of the Republic website to suddenly being thrust to the floor. And that was in March of 2021. An article came out about how Mike Novogratz's Galaxy Digital was investing in this vehicle. And then it's kind of been history made ever since. We very quickly had some early successes. We invested in Axie Infinity before people were really starting to talk about it largely on the basis of just doing what I call very active social listening. We saw Twitter and Telegram really exploding with excitement over what was happening at Axie Infinity. And we knew there was something special there. So we bought land when they first started selling it. We were big buyers of Decentraland in the sandbox before everybody was really focusing on it again last spring. And then in June, we made the largest acquisition, what was at the time the largest acquisition in Decentraland, 
uh, which was $900,000 for a plot of land there. We've since blown that record out of the water. We bought a plot in the sandbox in November for $4.3 million. So as you can see, the dollar amounts have gotten ever larger over time. Today, we're one of the most active investors in metaverse real estate. We own over 3,000 NFTs. But more importantly, we've actually built an entire company around this concept. We started making investments on behalf of other investors. But today, we do lots of different things. And we really see ourselves as one of the key developers of the metaverse ecosystem. We build metaverse NFTs. We create in metaverse games. We have our own gaming guild that's a DAO. We still continue to invest. We've invested in 25 different metaverse investment platforms. But it all started as a happy accident last March, March of 2021, when we put this card up on the Republic website. And today, that metaverse card has over $75 million of reservations from investors. There's 15,000 people who have reserved and it's now on a waitlist situation. So we had an idea that this might be something. We had no idea it would be something quite this big. Well, happy accidents. Like March was when we started the podcast and now... We're obviously both brilliant. (laughs) This is episode 101. Oh my gosh. And now we have NFTLA and all sorts of other stuff cooking. It's been a remarkable year for the industry. And what's exciting is even after we're all on the edge of our seats watching what's happening in the crypto markets, clearly we're all having mild panic attacks when we're not doing podcasts. Last week, which was the third week of January, was the biggest week ever on OpenSea. So on the one hand, you have the crypto markets crashing. And on the other hand, you have the NFT markets exploding, which I think is really interesting. And I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, but it's certainly an interesting statistic to watch. Yeah, also interesting because LooksRare has come and sort of competing with OpenSea and adding its own traffic to the NFT trading space, right? So that's in addition to what's going on over there. I think what LooksRare has done is I've been very vocal about my thoughts on how corporate America is approaching NFTs. And I've wrote an op-ed about why corporate America is getting NFTs all wrong. And if you look at what LooksRare did, they did it really right. They started with the community. They figured out how to incentivize the community for building and participating. And that's going to be a recurring theme in this space is how do you make the community feel like they're part of the project, not later, but in the very early days and bring them along for the ride and help them to feel like they're building the roadmap and that this isn't a corporate money grab. This isn't something that's being pushed down from a boardroom, but rather something that's being built from the ground up. And I think LooksRare is a perfect example of how that can work. Let's see what happens. I think it'll be interesting to see how it actually plays out, but certainly the early traction is very impressive. So speaking of building things from the ground up, right? we're talking about metaverse real estate and a lot of what you guys have done and are doing. For our listeners who aren't in the world of metaverse real estate yet, how would you describe it to them? And and how do you view this as a part of the broader cryptosphere? That's a very multi-layered question. First of all, I hate the phrase metaverse real estate, especially as somebody who comes from real estate. I know that sounds particularly ironic, but I've been on a bit of a bandwagon lately, really trying to get people to think about it differently. I think it's very misleading. I think it's led a lot of people down the wrong path. It has nothing to do with real estate. Real estate is the thing you do with your money when you've made a ton of money in a windfall and you want to make sure you don't lose it. If that's what you're thinking about here, you're thinking about it all wrong. You should be prepared to lose it. It's crypto. It's a derivative trade of crypto. So it's as risky, if not more so. And it doesn't trade like real estate. It doesn't have income generating prospects like real estate does. It's highly speculative. It's more like early stage venture capital investing than it is like real estate investing. And the skills required to invest in real estate have almost nothing in common with the skills required to invest in metaverse platforms, which again, I realize the irony as somebody who comes from the real estate investing world, but I've also spent the past year learning a lot and it's the only thing I do all day, every day. So I I think that it's required me to rethink how we approach this asset category. And it actually took me you know, nine months to come to the conclusion that metaverse real estate is really the wrong way to describe it. You are basically investing in a dedicated block of pixels in a software application. That's what it is. And mostly you're tending to invest before that particular software. I hate to use the word metaverse because even that confuses people. It's software and it's software usually pre-launch. So you're buying a part of the software before the software is even available to the public. And it's a dedicated piece. It's not any part. You can't do whatever you want with any part of that software. You can only work with a very specific set of pixels that are designated to you. You're betting on a lot of different things happening. Number one, that the team that's building this platform can actually execute, that they can continue to evolve the platform in a way that it draws in users, 
that they can market the platform so that people actually show up for it and that they are able to create a viable ecosystem and economy of people that buy the pixels, develop the pixels, do interesting things there so that more and more people come and keep building. So it's a complicated, very almost sequential order of things that you have very little insight into when you're making the investment. Usually when you're investing, you know, even if you look at Decentraland, what are you investing in? You're investing in the future prospects of that platform and whether you believe that there is room to grow in the asset price, in that particular NFT's price. And it's based on what you think is happening in the market and what you think is happening in the platform. And do you think more people are going to show up and make this thing more valuable? Yeah, that's fascinating and appreciate that kind of inside perspective, right? From somebody who's viewing it, it's all a whole new world, right? And so we have to invent these terms and clarify these terms and all of that. You mentioned it being more like venture capital funding or startup funding too. So there's always like due diligence in that process of maybe meeting the founding team and seeing a pitch deck and stuff like that. I'm guessing initially that wasn't a part of your process. But maybe once you're writing bigger checks, is this part of how you investigate where to invest? Are you talking to founders? Are you looking at their roadmaps and plans? Are you making sort of agreements around that? I don't even know if that's how it goes. Yeah, it's, it's always been part of our process. I mean, we are a team that came out of professional investing. So we've always looked at things, I think, with a healthy dose of cynicism, trying to find whatever information we can find. It's not like we spent time on the phone with the founders of Axie Infinity before we invested, but we invested small. We watched what happened. We wanted to see if the traction kind of continued at the same pace that we were seeing. We spent a lot of time researching who the team was behind it, whether we believed in their ability to navigate nimbly a lot of the changes that we kind of saw as being inevitable to the space. So we certainly approached it as an early stage venture investment, but it's more nuanced than that because when you buy it, you can then do things to it. So it's kind of like betting on whether their technology is going to allow us to customize it in a way that adds value or allows us to create alpha. It's a very interesting category. It's really a lot of fun because you're buying an NFT that's attached to a platform so that you have an NFT, you have an early stage venture investment you know, tied to a platform, and then you have how creative can I be as the developer of those pixels in building something that's going to create even more value for me as a holder. It's very layered and it's very creative and it's very much a bet on the platform itself and then the human ingenuity that can come behind it and actually build clever things that can make the owners a lot of money. Mm. I've been hanging out in our Discord a bit lately and and the topic of Upland came up. I know it's not something we listed in, in what you're into, but is that a platform that counts for kind of what you pay attention to? For sure, they're on our list. I don't believe we've invested in Upland and I don't have a clear answer for you exactly why not. Sometimes just it's not a function of not liking the platform. We might love it. We might just be a little bit scared of the valuation. I actually don't know exactly why we haven't invested. Maybe it's in process. We have a lot of investments that we're looking at simultaneously. So it might be something we're looking at now. We've tracked over 300 different platforms already. Obviously, we don't focus on them all equally. Some we do a much deeper dive. Some we invest small and then we get larger over time. But if you go to our website, republicrealm.com, you can see a list of all the logos on the portfolio page and see what we have invested thus far. We keep it very up to date. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that question, how do you pick what you invest in? Are people coming to you at this point? Do you have sort of research team that's selecting based on certain criteria? Maybe just a few details before you move on to the next topic. Yeah. I mean, again, we approach this like professional investors. So we have a team of analysts. We have one who is a nationally ranked gamer whose job it is just to spend time in the space, getting to know everybody, talking to users, test driving platforms when that's even a possibility, seeing the alpha and beta versions of things. We have somebody on our team who just looks at Discord channels. He is a uh, one of the moderators of Reddit's Wall Street Bets channel. And so he's particularly qualified at assessing the health of an online community. And he spends time literally lurking in those channels, telling us where people are positively inclined, where they're saying good things, where you know he says, oh, they're blowing up. That's how he describes it. But he means that people are really buzzy about a specific thing. They're excited about what's coming. They're excited about what's happening. And we view that as one of the early tells that something has traction, a lot like a venture capital fund would. When, you know, Long before a company has metrics, they have things like social media follower accounts or number of press hits or web hits on their website. So things like that are very helpful when we're trying to assess in the very early days the viability of a platform and whether we want to spend more time looking into it. 
I guess on the, a similar note, like when you're thinking about what to build in value creation, how does that sort of relate to your days in the real estate world? It feels like in the early sort of metaverse real estate days, a lot of focus on sex, drugs and rock and roll and gambling. Has that changed? No, same basic human drivers. I think we try to think really creative. The first project we did was an experiment. We built this shopping mall called Metajuku that I came up with in the back of a taxi where I thought, I love Japan. I love Tokyo. And the metaverse looks very cartoonish. So we wanted a theme that was loud. You know, it can't be subtle in the metaverse. It doesn't fly. Like you, you can't do beige and neutrals. You have to do neon lights and flashing. And I thought, what better place than all of the, I don't know if you've ever been to Tokyo, but the signage is, is incredible. You know, there's light up signs and everything. And so we borrowed from the video game district of Japan and the streetber district, which is Harajuku. We called it Metajuku and we put all the lights and the signage on it to evoke Tokyo. And then we leased it to tenants that are actually selling digital clothing that people can buy for their avatars. That was really the first real estate project that put us on the map. We did it intentionally to be a little bit quirky and weird. And I think that that's what the metaverse is about. And I think a lot of people come to us and they say, you know, I own a bunch of hotels in the real world. I own a bunch of apartment buildings and I want to duplicate them in the metaverse. And I have to tell them, unfortunately, buddy, nobody cares. Nobody wants to go to your office building in the metaverse. I'm not going to the metaverse to do more boring things like I already can do in the real world. I want to go to the metaverse to do things I can't in the real world. I want to go fly. I want to go, you know, it's kind of like Westworld, right? I don't know if you guys have ever watched that show, but nobody wants to travel back in time to go work in a cubicle, right? They want to travel back in time to like shoot people and have a wild west adventure. It's the same with the metaverse. It has to be trippy. It has to be otherworldly. It has to be really pushing the envelope of what people can do, because in order for a metaverse experience to be compelling, you have to lure people away from playing on their phones, from sleeping, from Netflix, from social media, from video games. You're competing with a lot of choices, right? Nobody has to be in the metaverse. So you're choosing from all the other forms of procrastination when you decide to spend your time in the metaverse. And in order to bring people into those experiences, you really have to push the envelope and think, what do people want? What does their lizard brain want to do? when they're stuck at home. And I think the bar was a lot lower when we'd all been locked in our houses from the pandemic. Now we're starting to get out and we're like a little more choosy, right? I don't want to do Zoom birthday with my uncle from Iowa anymore, right? I actually want to go out and do things. And that's the same thing. Shout out to your uncle from Iowa. Love that guy, but I still don't want to Zoom with him. (laughs) And so we're becoming more stingy with our time and therefore the things really have to draw us in. Well, it also takes really good partnerships to make things happen in this world of NFTs and Web3. And you guys are working with Polygon and Galaxy and Animoca Brands, who's also a partner of ours, I guess, officially at this point, by the time the show airs. Would love to know what your roadmap looks like in terms of other partnerships we can expect. So we haven't announced a lot of the partners we have intentionally because we want to do so to great fanfare. But we can talk specifically about one that by the time this airs, we'll have launched, which is a partnership we're doing with Atari. We see ourselves as landlords in the metaverse, which that's a really, again, a really bad word because it relates back to real estate, which I told you earlier, I didn't like. But we create content in the metaverse. And I find that it's actually really helpful to people when that content comes in the form of things that they already understand and architecture and buildings and places or something people can grab onto. So we built an NFT store called the GFT shop and their NFTs designed for gifting. And each GFT is a gift box that opens on a specific date in time. And inside it is something that relates to a cult brand. And the first brand collab we're working on is with Atari, which is one of the most loved brands. We love it because it's all about video gaming. It's kind of where video gaming started. And as anybody in the metaverse will tell you, we have to give a nod to the video gaming industry, which is where this all came from. And so that's our first GFT product launch that we are offering through the GFT shop. But in time, we're doing collaborations with other beloved brands that will be gifts. So so they're designed so you can buy it as a gift and give it to somebody else. But it's an NFT and it has all the typical NFT bells and whistles in the sense that it's some are more rare than others. And there's a scarcity chart and there's a roadmap of cool things that you'll be able to do with it in the future. Love it. That's a ton of fun. There's so much cool stuff retro-wise and the nostalgia around brands like Atari and others. I feel like there's not enough of that really, honestly, yet. So many of the things that we love don't yet have a presence in the space. And I'm curious, do you have a phrase that you want to use for virtual real estate or what it is that Republic no, we haven't nailed it yet? I don't. I put it up on Twitter and I got a bunch of responses and quite frankly, they all kind of sucked. So... I'm waiting for it to come to me or to come to somebody else. Maybe we should have a contest. You know, we should like 
give somebody an NFT if they come up with a really good name that we choose, because I think we're in a unique position of being able to pick the next name, but I still haven't hit on it. People say, well, what about digital estate or digital land? I'm like, nope, you're right back where you started, where you, you were recalling this connection to real estate and things that are low risk and income producing. And this isn't that. So I don't know. I actually don't know, but I think it's also important just to get out ahead of it so that people don't think I'm being misleading when I talk about it, like metaverse real estate. I think it's very important that everybody who comes to the space understands how risky it really is. Yeah, no, it's a good point. So let's talk a little bit about like potential partnerships and other collaborations you're doing. What about just the roadmap in general for Republic Realm? Like what else is on that roadmap that, uh, that we can share with our listeners to get excited about? Lots of things, not all of which we can talk about because they are not yet live or we have deals with our partners that we don't talk about them. But I can tell you that we're doing lots of cool things across lots of different genres from sports to culture, to music, to fashion. We're spending a lot of time in the fashion and digital wearable space. We think it's, first of all, speaks to me more so than sports or shooting things. And we think it's an easy use case. People understand dressing up your avatar. It's very easy to understand why you'd want to spend money on that. In fact, I have a daughter who spends actually a pretty embarrassingly high amount of time in Roblox and she routinely shakes me down. I posted something on Twitter once I made her re-record it. And she said, mommy, I need Robux. Robux is the money in Roblox. I said, why do you need Robux this time? She goes, because my shirt got deleted and all of my friends are making fun of me because my avatar doesn't have a shirt. <laughs> and so her generation cares more about the shirt that her avatar is wearing than the shirt that she actually wears to school. They're being conditioned to grow up, to spend money on dressing their avatars. You know what Roblox calls things that you buy in Robux? You know what they call them? No, what? Mm -mm. NFTs. It stands for not for trading. That's what they, I mean, they literally are conditioned an entire generation of children for this new world order where assets are NFTs and that's how we buy them and sell them. And they're completely digital, but very valuable. And they have a hierarchy of value. There's a game called Adopt Me on Roblox, where you collect your dream pet. This is starting to sound familiar. And different animals are more rare than others. And you trade these NFTs with your friends in the game. I mean, it's literally creating a generation of children who will be buying whatever the next board ape competitor is when it comes down the pike and they're old enough to have a, a MetaMask wallet. The metaverse is already here. We're just too old to know about it. It's already <laughs> here for children who have spent the last two years in lockdown in Fortnite Roblox and Minecraft buying and selling digital assets and conducting all of their socialization online and walking into 3D environments where there's audio chat and a fully social immersive experience. And having nightmares about not going to school naked, but ended up in Roblox without a exactly, shirt. Because their shirt got deleted. That's why. So exactly. It's here. It's only going to get bigger. Amazing. It's like a delicate balance for folks that aren't in that sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, metaverse native generation or whatever, but what do we hold on to from the past, right? Because there's always this sort of evolution of technology, right? And I know personally, there's an attachment to encouraging people to be outside and in the quote unquote real world and engaging offline and things like that. And at the same time, this is the direction things are going. I don't think it's either or just like video gaming, you know, there was an entire generation of grandparents who were saying video games are going to ruin our youth. And okay, maybe it hasn't had the best impact. I don't know, but we also haven't had a world war in a very long time. Right. So it's hard to say who was right. If you think about things like VR, you cannot do VR outside. You will walk into a hole or get hit by a car. So VR is truly a wasteland. If you want to think about how to make sure that we all have the death of civilization. But if it's something that's a lighter touch that you can do while you talk to people or, you know, more like the way we play on our phones while we do everything, I don't think it's the end of civilization as we know it. I think it's the evolution of the internet. It's what happens when websites start behaving more like video games. That's all. It's not about people checking out from life. It's about a generation of people who just expect something different from technology, just like our generation expected something different. None of us grew up, well, okay, I'll speak for you guys, not myself, but you don't look at data or information in an encyclopedia. You never did. You never had to, right? You went straight to the internet. Well, their generation doesn't do that even. They want to watch YouTube videos or they just consume information and technology in a different way. And they're expecting things to be interactive and immersive instead of just a 2D scroll that you do it by yourself. They want to walk into a store and meet their friend. Right on. 
What can you tell us about the guild that you mentioned earlier that you guys are working on? What's cooking there? I don't think we can announce that yet. It's really cool though. We can't talk about it. It's going to be on our website soon. Keep it like two weeks, mid-February. That's fine. You know, this space, you got to do a lot of stuff in stealth because it moves so quickly that I always say to my team, first of all, I, I steal lines from really smart people. Jeff Bezos being one of them. Speed matters in business. That's a Jeff Bezos line, which we use all the time here. And the second thing I say is while you were talking about it, we built it already. And we try not to talk about things. We try to just build. And I think we've done a really amazing job of that in a very short period of time. Metaverse real estate investment vehicle we launched in March, April was one of 15 things we were working on at the time. It wasn't until July we decided to focus on that exclusively. And it wasn't until September, October that we decided to build an entire company around it. So if you think about all we've done in such a short period of time, it's been about hunkering down, focusing, building, shipping very quickly, as opposed to talking about it. Now, of course, we've also been the benefit of lots of media attention. So we've also talked about it too. But while I'm talking about it, there's lots of other people building it. Yeah. You know, I keep having this memory of you kind of giving this sort of silly, what might sound like simple, silly advice. You're not going to have an AR chiropractic dentist office that's going to make you rental income or something I like that. that. No. Well, you kind of said you can't invest in the traditional way that you do in real estate, right? It's not like a medical office or something, right? It's something totally different. And I think on that type of note, we want to know like what kind of advice you do tend to give people or our listeners in exploring the metaverse and real estate there? What's their first point of entry? What are some common pitfalls to avoid? And what's a good direction to go? Well, I'm trying to not to make this too self-serving. I mean, obviously, if you really want to invest in a broad, diversified portfolio, I would suggest you go to republic.co, which is the equity crowdfunding platform that has our investment vehicle on it and join the waitlist. But if you are discouraged by the fact that there is a waitlist, which may mean you never get into that vehicle, you can try doing it yourself. The risk there is that it's hard to build a diversified portfolio. And I would tell you in any category, diversification is important in this one even more so because it is so risky, so early, so volatile. I think you should enter the space with a lot of humility. Just because it's called real estate doesn't mean it's anything like buying a home or investing in a REIT or doing anything remotely like real estate. You should spend a lot of time learning. You should be fully aware of the most likely outcome, which is total loss of principle. It's true of anything in crypto, and this is no exception. You should invest small, get to know the community first, join the Discord for whatever platform you invested in, or if you've invested in multiple, really try to be a part of the community and understand what it is people are excited about. I think that's true of anything in this metaverse ecosystem, whether it's an NFT or buying digital real estate. You shouldn't do it unless you also join the community and really become part of that community and build on it. And the other thing is this space, these individual metaverses will fail if people buy and squat and don't develop the real estate, because there'll be nothing to do when people get there. Metaverse is only interesting if there's something for people to do when they get there. So if everybody buys and squats, they are going to collectively sink their own ship. And this is sort of an analog to real world real estate. You can't just go and invest in a crappy neighborhood and expect everybody else to improve it. You've got to be one of the people that's developing and making things better and improving the neighborhood, right? And adding value and adding to the community and not just thinking about waiting for other people to risk it for you. You've got to go in there and spend the time and money, invest in the project and think of something unique and do it. Yes, but we can't, we can't draw too many parallels to the world of real real estate, right? Like we've already said, we're completely against that. So we can't do that. But it is somewhat similar to, to the idea of being a pioneer and building things and getting your hands dirty and not just speculating. It's about building. I'm not going to avoid the... It's not like building a building, but it is like... Uh, uh, sounds a little bit like building a building. Yeah. Look, the metaphor has stuck because it's not a terrible one, right? It's not yeah. awful. It's just misleading. Yeah, that's when you say you're building a video game, right? People say that all the time. I'm developing a video game. They don't confuse it with an apartment building, right? Everybody knows it's very risky. Everybody knows what a video game is. The word development is used in many different industries. It just so happens when you stick it with the word real estate, people think of something very different than what it is you're building in the metaverse. Right. We're circling something interesting in there. There's a building something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Cool. Just one last question here before we move over to edge quick hitters. I got to ask. Okay, outside of the Republic Realm world, what other projects do you look to for inspiration in the NFT space? Gosh, we, well, we look at lots of them. I'm always very cautious about suggesting one project over another because we do try to be very agnostic. Obviously, we like our own projects a great deal. 
clearly we look at board apes a lot. I think you have to look at, at what, how that has worked and, and how it's really changed the landscape and put NFTs into a place that made them not about art and much more about community and what you can get when you have one. And then I think all of the derivative projects that look like board apes are not at all interesting to me. You know, I don't think the world needs another profile picture project based on apes or quite frankly, any other animal. I think that being said, like I thought toads was very interesting when it came out this summer because it was like the anti-ape. So I guess I have to eat my own words. Obviously we're watching world of women. I think that's interesting, but again, not that innovative. I think it's interesting. Obviously I love bringing women into the fold. I think what's more interesting, it's what's next. What's the next evolution of NFTs going to bring? And what are we going to see from music? You know, we've been hearing about music for a while now, and I still haven't seen anything personally that I find to be that compelling, but I think it's coming. I think nobody's quite cracked the code yet, but they will. We have a project, again, it's our project, but it's an online university called Republic Realm Academy where the tuition is an NFT. And I think things like that become interesting, like your diploma is your admission ticket, but it's also your NFT that gets you into class. And so it's like kind of like in any aspect of crypto where the ownership is also a record of the transaction. It's the same thing in educational format. Like owning the NFT means that you actually graduated from the program or that you're attending it. So I think things like that have a lot of practical applications, not just to universities, but to any kind of event, any kind of conference. That being said, I think when people do an event and they make the tuition or the admission in NFT, like it can get very hokey very quickly. It's complicated unnecessarily. You know, you have gas fees that you don't always need to pay in order to go to a conference. So I think it cuts both ways. I think we're still in the early days and I'm really excited just to see what people are doing that's different. I think some of the roadmaps we've been seeing are really clever, you know, just visually very intriguing. And how can you say nothing that, yeah, how can you be completely non-committal while still alluding to the fact that your project is moving forward? I think the whole NFT industry has mastered that literally no dates and nothing firm, but here's the roadmap in no other industry would that satisfy holders bar for explaining what's coming next, but somehow in this one, it works just fine. It can be this very obtuse picture of, you know, and we're guilty of this as well, but we all know in crypto, if you promise hard and fast deadlines, you will inevitably miss them. So the entire industry is very forgiving when it comes to firm deadlines, but they've also been incredibly forgiving when it comes to firm anything. And I think that era will soon come to a close. Yeah, I think you're right. But exciting times still. And you know, we're really pumped to see where you go next with the Republic Realm. Amazing what you've done so far in such a short period of time out there building, building, building. And what's around the corner, I guess we'll find out soon. We interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best kept secrets in the NFT space right now, the Koi Network. If you are a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high-energy usage of old-school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing Koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it? In the meantime, we wanted to take a step back and ask you some questions that'll get a personal perspective, give our listeners a little more understanding of you and how you think. It's a section we call Edge Quick Hitters, and there are 10 questions looking for a short you know, single word or a few word responses, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. You ready to dive in on these? I'm a little scared, but sure. <laughs> we'll take care of you. Don't worry. Is this like trivia? There might be some trivia in there, it's but we'll see. about your own life. So you're the expert. <laughs> you could say whatever you want and okay. feel free Easy to lie. <laughs> okay. Question number one. What's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? A sweater. Are you from someplace that's of a cooler climate? Not really. No. I just remember this ugly blue sweater. I think I was probably eight or nine. My mom gave me money. I think it was like 25 or $50, which I thought was like a fortune. And I bought a sweater nice. and I bought it by myself. Like I walked up to the cash register and paid for it. And it was a sweater. Yeah. Stands out. That's awesome. First sweater. I think we have on the my show. My first ever sweater. No, the first sweater I bought, not my first ever sweater, but yes. Yes. 
Question number two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? That was easy. Snow cones. Snow cones. Okay. We need a little bit of the background on this one. I have been an entrepreneur my entire life. I have never not had a company. I sold snow cones at the community pool. Do you remember there was like a, you made it at home, snow cones, like sitting outside of the pool. I had one of those. Those things are really hard on your fingers. But that's how badly I wanted to win. I was like there like grinding the ice and I'm from a place where it's hot. (laughs) So, you know, you're sitting there grinding the ice and the heat and like little slivers of ice come out. People are getting angry because you're taking so long to make it. Yeah, those machines were not made for scalability. They were not made for industrial use poolside, but lo and behold, you know, I made it work. And here you are. Amazing. Question number three, what is the most recent thing you purchased? Lunch. Uh, Could you divulge the contents of that lunch? Sure, I had sushi. Oh, fancy. Nice. Solid lunch. Question number four, what is the most recent thing you sold? You know, I sold some shares in the company. How about that? How about that for a teaser? That's solid. I dig it. Question number five, what is your most prized possession? I don't want to say that on a podcast. What if somebody tries to take it? I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what it is. My, my second most prized possession. Yes, there you go. My cat. How about that? Okay. Does your cat have a name? Let it be known. She's got something worth taking. <laughs> <laughs> Does your cat have a name? Cannoli. She looks like a cannoli. Fat <laughs> and has a lot of cream sticking out of the ends of her. <laughs> nice. Question number six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, service, an experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? If I could buy anything that's for sale, what would that be? Oh, gosh. That's a very open-ended question. What would I buy? Eternal Youth? Is that for sale? Or is that not for sale? <laughs> Depends on where you're shopping, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Well, if I'm shopping I'll Metaverse, sell it to you. Metaverse, that's definitely for sale. Yes. hundred percent. If it's not for sale yet, it will be soon. That's right. There's certainly plenty of people trying to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to buy that. So can you guys find out who's making that? And I will be their first customer. I took a note. Question number seven. I think Dave Asprey's working on it. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Persistence. Question number eight, flip side. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Needing sleep. <laughs> Needing sleep. Got it. I don't need that much sleep. I don't need that much sleep, but if I could get those like five hours back. Yeah. Eliminate it. All right. Yeah. We'll take it. That's a very creative answer and a first for the podcast. Indeed. Like the sweater. Like the sweater. Yeah. Question number nine, a little easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Screamed to uh, my head of marketing asking if we're going to have a giveaway on this podcast and whether we should actually have one. And I think the answer is yes. Okay. Stay tuned <laughs> nice. for that. Last one, question number 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? check all my various different messaging apps from Telegram to Signal to WhatsApp to Discord to email to Slack to text message and figure out what I missed while I was on the phone with you guys. All right. Well, hopefully nothing too crazy. And that's it. Thanks for playing with us here for Edge Quick Hitters. That was 10 questions. And I think that's really a wrap for our time with you. We know you're really busy and and want to get back to building, but we really appreciate you spending this time with us. And before we let you go, though, we wanted to do two things. Number one, let folks know where they should follow you in Republic Realm. What's the best place they should go to? RepublicRealm.com. There it is. Easy enough. Anything on socials that we need to uh, share with folks? Join Republic underscore RE. We're working on getting vanity, vanity URLs on Discord. We're just Republic Realm. Okay. Got it. And the second thing was, I think we have a little giveaway that we wanted to share with our sure listeners. Do. What's the story there? So we will be giving away three GFT limited edition NFTs. Come to your website, I think, for information, not mine. You tell me how we do this. Yeah, we'll be sharing uh, all the deets on our socials. So keep an eye out for that. A lot, of, a lot of fun little releases that we'll be doing there and a few requests for our followers to partake in this uh, amazing giveaway. So thanks so much. And bear in mind, when we launched NFTs in the past, like we sold speedboats and they went out for, I think, 0.1 ETH. And now they're worth four or five ETH each. And we sold a super mega yacht for 150 ETH. So we have a track record of creating NFT projects that turn out to be very valuable. So definitely want to stay tuned for that giveaway. Beautiful. Thanks for the generosity. We appreciate it. And and even more so, thanks for your time today. Thank you, guys. Hey there. Want to know which NFT mints are taking off? Would you like to know about them in real time? 
while they're still taking off. What about tracking NFTs before they launch and seeing which ones are gathering a real Twitter following or boosting their discords? Which ones are hot and could take off like a rocket because so many people are excited for their launch? Mythia, a forthcoming NFT project themselves, have built both of these tools for you even before they've launched and it's free just because they're cool like that. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Mythia to find out more. That's M-Y-T-H-I-A. Find out any upcoming NFTs, Discord and Twitter growth trajectory and which mints are happening in real time so you can jump on if you see them taking off. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Mythia to find out more. M-Y-T-H-I-A. Yes, it's free. I'm heading there now myself. Hey, real quick, check this out. For those true fans who pay close attention to Edge of NFT, we're experimenting with some fun new rewards. You can get a free POAP NFT. That's a proof of participation NFT from us by going to our Discord, edgeofnft.com slash Discord, and reaching engagement level 6 by January 31. Log on now and get started. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Discord. Jump in, have fun, learn something, and get your free POAP NFT. There's only 50. Also, if you're the first to get one, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Next, yeah, up we got hot topics, a very special hot topics, and we're going to talk about ETH Denver with John Pauler. He's a Denver-based blockchain entrepreneur, inventor, and futurist, as we all are, and the founder and executive steward of ETH Denver. So, John, welcome. We got to chat a little bit before this, but looking forward to chat some more. Looking forward to it. How are you guys? Doing great, man. Doing great. I got to say, going to ETH Denver was a very meaningful moment in my sort of history of this industry. The vibe that you guys create, the overall objectives, and sort of the bigger picture, let's make the world better attitude. Everyone I met at ETH Denver was really incredible. And it's what got me pumped about this industry. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're not the only one that's actually said that. We've had hitters like David Hoffman, Austin Griffith, and countless others actually tell us the same thing. I mean, different installations. We've had dozens of top projects actually get incubated and founded at the hackathon, which is... I mean, that's the whole hallmark of ETH Denver is it's the only event in the world of its size that has the hackathon as the main event. Everything else is a conference first. And then sort of like does the hackathon thing sort of as an afterthought and nobody really does it. But like, this is the main reason we're getting together. So like, it's totally a different vibe. We don't even call it a conference like intentionally because it's not. We call it a community innovation festival because that more represents the vibe. The vibe is much more creative, big tent, blank canvas, like come express who you are and be rewarded for it. So let's go back to the beginning though. How did Eat Denver start and what inspired you to launch this event? And how has the event evolved to include projects from all different chains? In 2016, the Ethereum meetup in Denver was like 10 people, you know, in a shitty bar and sitting around talking about smart contracts and stuff that I really didn't understand to begin with. And then in the early spring, 2017, when the sort of initial ICO boom was kind of kicking off, the interest in the uh, meetup swelled to like max capacity. So we had like 300 and something people every month plus a wait list. So like we were just sitting around going, holy crap, like we had no idea that like this many people actually were paying attention to this. Because you know, our little dorky meetup before with like 10 people, pizza and beer is lame. And then so after about four or five months of that, I was getting my entrepreneurial itch of like, you know, we should build some stuff. Like we've got a lot of people that want to build. So let's do a hackathon. And then so the founders of the meetup were like, oh, you know, we've already done that. And nobody really came, nobody cared. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm talking about like bigger ambitions. Like let's actually bring in the international community and let's like bring in some luminaries and let's actually build Colorado as a destination of choice for Web3 and blockchain innovation. I mean, that was sort of the talking points that we always wanted to do that. But like, you're not going to do that if all you do is have a couple of dozen nerds building some things on a weekend. Like, you need to build it bigger. So, the first event, the goal was to have 401 people that we wanted to have. And the reason for the number is in October of 2017, the initial hackathon happened at ETH, it was ETH Waterloo in Waterloo, Canada, just outside of Toronto. The reported number is very round, but they said they had 400 people. 
we set out to have 401 people just for posterity. Yeah, we're the biggest one ever, right? Just for like locker room comparison is sort of dumb, but like whatever. And then, yeah, lo and behold, we had 1,500 people show up from 60 countries. The timing was right. The market was primed. We went through some pretty volatile times with Ethereum back then, went up to almost 1,500, and then it tanked to like 500, and then went back down to like 80 or 90 at one point. So, I mean, it was nuts. But the net result of it was people had a very different experience. Conferences are typically very centralized. They run like businesses. You know, you just operate them like a business. Well, we've, from the very get-go, depended heavily on the community to help us execute. So it feels very much like a community of communities. And it's a very deep community here in Colorado now, because we have built Colorado into a destination of choice for Web3 and blockchain innovation. And I mean, that actually became a reality. So like that's happening. You know, our governor is the co-founder of Techstars and our securities commissioner is the former chief counsel of the Ethereum Foundation. So like you do the math, but this will be our fifth installation now. And we're expecting, I mean, just ticketed, we're going to ticket like seven or 8,000 people. And we've got 12,000 applications right now. So like we don't have anywhere near the capacity to handle everybody that wants to come. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to be hacking. There's actually quite a few people that just want to attend. The priority is on builders. So if you're trying to get in last minute, you know, and we actually use the meme Biddle. We invented that meme back in 2018. So that sort of got adopted as like the counterpoint to like HODL, which is the Bitcoin meme, OG. And then you asked the question about how did we get so, so cross-chain friendly? Well, the thing that we've always focused on is really building the decentralized future, the decentralized web, even though Ethereum has a pretty large head start, I would say, we never wanted to like just be a bunch of Ethereum maxis. I mean, there's plenty of possibilities that we have a multi-chain universe, we have a cross-chain universe, we have all sorts of different things. We just decided, and we were the first ones to do this, and we actually got a lot of flack for it, where we invited other chains to come and participate. And that created a lot of EVM compatibility and a lot of other things that just, you know, a lot more collaboration. Not every chain is highly collaborative, but like most of them are that come to and participate in our community. The community gets to decide where they want to allocate their time and attention because it's a community of communities. So just because you show up, even if you're a sponsor, it doesn't guarantee anything. You've really got to like add value and create activations and engagement. I always say community is the new IP. The projects that are going to be successful in the end, it has very little to do with their technology and how good it is. There's some really damn good technology out there that I've seen. It's like, wow, that's really cool. But then they operate it like a corporate hierarchy and like nobody in the community wants to use it. So it's like, it doesn't matter how good. It's very interesting paradigm shift for, as compared to Web2. That's where we are. It's going to be absolutely bananas. I mean, we're literally airdropping thousands of people into Denver. The state's thrilled. We've got our COVID protocols and everything ready to go. So keep everybody safe. We're paying for everybody's testing on site. I mean, we're literally offering testing as you walk into the venue for free, instant rapid test. I'm just glad that my team is figuring out our accommodations before the show airs because I don't need any more hype interfering with my Airbnb booking. (laughs) Dude, I would get it in, man, because I get emails every day. Typically, I have a block of rooms that I can allocate, and I do all that. I mean, we're already full. Everything's blowing up at the seams. I mean, I've been around the event scene a long time in crypto, right? So I've seen OG consensus evolve. I've seen all sorts of different things from Ethereal to ECC to whatever. And I've never seen the FOMO like this. I've never seen it. I mean, NFT NYC got close, but it was a different kind of population. Like this is like developers. This is like nerdy coders and like crypto economics experts and like super hardcore like builders. Not just, hey, I'm excited about the next NFT project, which there's nothing wrong with that. We got to get to mass adoption in a lot of different ways. But I've never seen anything like it. So in one way we're excited and the other way I'm sort of terrified <laughs> because it's really taken on a life of its own. Yeah, it really has. And I think you'll find the culture of the event itself is evolving based on the amount of interest you're getting and the diversity of attendees across all different backgrounds, whether it developers or investors or just fans of the space. I've participated in several of the you know ETH Global hackathons online 
And every single time, just blown away by the projects coming out of it, the ideas, the community. Gosh, it's all going to come to a head here, live and in person in Denver here in a few weeks. The Average Youth Global Hackathon, and we've not been affiliated with Youth Global since for some time. We helped them launch at Youth Denver in 2018. We collaborate with each other on a lot of things, but you know we're a separate entity or separate organization. Our, you know, we're now SporkDAO as the master community for Youth Denver. But yeah, the average size of one of those is about three, 400 people for an online hackathon. We're talking about 10x that for just hackers. And we're talking about 20, 30x that for total attendees. We were just looking at content this weekend. It's hundreds of hours. We have six stages running concurrently of free content from the like largest luminaries in the world. So to get access to this, typically, I mean, you're looking at a $500 ticket probably just to be able to come to something like this. And we are the world's largest, freest hackathon, build-a-thon, innovation festival in the world. It's literally free to come. We've reduced economic barriers literally almost to zero. I mean, there are some time-based economics and travel and things that might get a little sticky for people. But we even have travel scholarships coming from three different groups. You know, like literally, there are some people will not just make money, but they'll get their projects funded and have zero expenses coming out of this. Yeah, so amazing, man! It's pretty insane. There's a lot to look forward to. Is there anything in particular that stands out to you as like just something you're super excited for as the event here comes to a head? Well, every year we've had a prediction, or we've sort of set the tone for like the year of the fill in the blank. In 2019, we said it was the year of DeFi. It was a little early. We were one year early. In 2020, we said it was the year of the Dow. And that was about two years too early. And then in 2021, we said it was the year of the creator economy, which I was we were 100% right on that, the NFTs and all this other stuff that's going on. And then this year, we're saying it's the year of mass adoption. So 2022. So the thing I'm most interested in is the technology and the protocols and the tool sets have evolved to a place where we've got a lot of interesting primitives and natives and tools that can be used. And I'm dying to see how the builder population is going to create the next wave of mass adoption vectors. Because like it's common. I mean, my day job is a good example of that. I work on a project called Opolis, which is building a it's an employment DAO. It basically replicates the feeling of employment with group healthcare benefits, all the bells and whistles, all the way down to getting a W-2 for those that work in DAOs and in the metaverse, right? So these people don't have employers, right? They're just generating income. So we've basically created a protocol to plug those people in to create the bridge between both worlds. And we use a ton of crypto primitives, right? So like under the hood, it's not just Web2 tech. We're actually building a public utility infrastructure for this service that's owned by the community, right? So that's why we call it an employment DAO or a digital employment cooperative. It has a legal wrapper, but it's owned and operated by the members just like any other DAO would be. It's very interesting. The thing I'm most excited is to echo your point about just how amazing it is to see the creativity and sort of the cleverness of the builder population. Biddlers are really fascinatingly genius. It just blows my mind every year at the stuff that you see. And how they're pressing the edges. So, I mean, from a groupthink standpoint, I've no, there's no other possible way to generate so much innovation so quickly than to do something like this, which is why we love doing it. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to be able to send me there. I love that hackathon environment. We'll see. We'll see if this gets to happen. What about speakers? You mentioned luminaries, but is there anybody you're particularly excited about? You're like, oh, I'm, like, I'm so amped about this speaker. Well, we've we've invited Kimball Musk to come and talk about his new DAO project. So he's in Colorado here. He builds, lives, works in Colorado, right? So in sort of part of our showcase of like what's happening in Colorado, he'll be here to talk about things like it's a DAO that's focused on big green DAO. Big green. Yeah. Yeah. Sustainable food cultivation and even education for people who want to grow their own food, those kinds of things. I mean, it's really cool stuff. And then, you know, adding in token economics and incentives and all these other cool things. I mean, it could be really fascinating. Governor Polis will be back. So he'll be talking about Colorado as the first digital state. So that's an announcement he made last year at the 2021 installation, his intention to see that as a reality. 
he'll be giving an update on kind of what we're doing. And obviously the pandemic has made things go a little bit slower than I think everybody would like because he's had his time and attention directed in one emergency or another at times, but we have made some progress. I'm really interested to hear about that. Danny Ryan's going to be in attendance talking about ETH2, kind of wondering what's going on with ETH2. We've got a series of folks that are going to be talking about their stories. Austin Griffith, who's famous for his tooling with Biddlegiddle and Scaffold ETH and his work at the foundation. Like I remember in 2018, he showed up to ETH Denver in a suit and a bow tie. He had no idea what was going on. And now to see him as such a bright contributor in the space, I mean, it's fabulous to see. So he'll be there giving his sort of journey into crypto and sort of his backstory, talking about how ETH Denver was, was a catalyst for him. David Hoffman from Bankless will be doing something similar. He'll actually be co emceeing Song of Day man, John Mann, will be there. He's been with us since 2019. So he just launched a successful cooperative DAO that for his song a day. So he holds the Guinness Book of World Records for creating songs every day and he NFTIs them. That's cool. Yeah, I'm aware of that guy. Yeah. And so, you know, he's a good friend of ours. I mean, we were basically part of his meager revenue stream when nobody gave a shit about this stuff. And we were like, we were NFTing his songs and doing all this stuff back in the day, day. And then now it's like a big thing. So we've done that many, many times where we're like, we sort of do things that we had our first NFT art gallery in 2018 and nobody was talking about this. Nobody. We had our first scavenger hunt. Now you go to all the crypto conferences and they got POAPs and all that. POAP was also founded in East Denver in 2019. That's proof of attendance protocol. That's Patricio Worthalter out of Argentina. I think it was like 18 when I was there and the award went to a game, an ETH-based game. And look where we're at now. Oh, I know. We were predicting that years ago. So three years in advance of when that stuff took off. So we've had the good fortune of being right on predictions early in most cases. Like I think we've overestimated the development time, but I think this is the time we're going to see things accelerate quite a bit. The rapid innovation, the rapid fire of innovation is insane. You can have an idea about something. It's like, hey, wouldn't that be cool? And then you find out that somebody's been building it for a year. You know, you're like, holy cow, you know, like I had no idea that they were even doing that. So the decentralized nature and the open permissionless ability to just build is pretty remarkable. And we're just harnessing that in a week-long event to catalyze it even more. Right on. And before we go, I just got to mention, I got my acceptance as, a, as an attendee and we'll be doing some podcasting. We're pumped about. And then I started poking around and I came upon these Buffacorn NFTs. And of course, I immediately aped in and minted one without knowing what I was even buying. But it turns out from sharing with you, it's a pretty rare one. What's going on with these Buffacorn NFTs this year? Your previous guest was sort of meh on PFP profile picture things. And I am too, actually. The only projects that I'm interested in are those that have utility and have community. So the good news about our situation is we already have community. We've got a huge community in 106 countries. We've had 40-something thousand people attend both in person and virtually. So like people know the Denver brand, people know the Buffacorn and what it represents, right? So the Buffacorn is the strength of the buffalo and the, the magic of the unicorn. You know, buffaloes are sort of in, uninteresting animals. They're big and strong, but they don't really do much. And then unicorns are kind of assholes. I don't even know if I can say that, but like you don't ever see them with anybody else. They don't collaborate. Like when was the last time you saw a unicorn with another unicorn or any other animal for that matter? So we bred them and made up this whole backstory about this war of Etheria and all this stuff. Funny, funny, haha, cutesy stuff. And then we came up with the Buffacorn as the kind of sort of uh, patriarch or the, what would be the gender agnostic term for that? I don't even know, but the leader of this sort of like group of characters, right? So we have the Spork Marmot, the Pega Buffacorn, and the Buffagway and the Buffacorn. It's great, right? And Sporky. There's all these different characters that kind of represent different components of what it means to build this community. So the profile project was launched in November during NFT NYC. We're about 50% sold out. I'm assuming by the time the event comes around, it's they're going to be gone. There is utility at the event. So there will be private spaces, events that you can only get in if you have a Buffcorn Biddle Brigade PFP NFT. So the mint price is 0.1 ETH. 
due to the market conditions, there's actually a discount right now. And you can mint up to 20 in a batch. We've seen some pretty big mints. So we've got some pretty bullish community members that really love this project. And we've actually seen a few of them already sell in the secondary market for some pretty decent amount of money, considering that we haven't even sold out of the mints yet, right? So just because of the scarcity of the particular assets, the one that you guys got has the Austin Griffith bow tie and shirt, which is like super, super rare. It's like 0.3% or something, might even be less than that. It's a super tiny population. So the characteristics are super fun. They're mostly geared around things that you'll see at East Denver. Like there's one that holds a yerba mate, right? Because we give out free yerba mate every year. There's a Bufficorn one that holds the B is for Bufficorn children's book that we wrote. There's a bunch of other like little kind of hidden meanings and stuff like rare stuff. Interestingly, some of the most rare ones, if you get kind of a naked Bufficorn where it doesn't have a lot of stuff going on and is in the picture, those are actually some of the most rare because they don't have that many traits. So don't think you didn't get a rare one. In fact, I almost gave one away for Christmas. I always check the rarity on these. So I'm not giving away like a top 100 or something. And it was like 43 in total rarity. I was like, holy cow, I didn't realize that because it only had four characteristics versus most of them have like six or seven. It's like super rare. So anyway, it's a ton of fun. It does really represent being a part of the community. All of the funds go to maintaining our free status and providing new educational opportunities for people in the space. So this isn't a get-rich-quick thing for our community. Communities owned by SporkDAO, which is tokenized by the Spork. So it's really just going to support the community of communities that we've built. And it's a cool thing to say that you were part of. Communities that build these kinds of art projects into sort of real engagement I think if you actually execute it well, I think it'll be beautiful. Hey, you convinced me, man. During this conversation, I did mint another buff of corn. <laughs> I jumped on the train again. This has been amazing. Excited to see you in person and appreciate you taking a moment to spend some time with us. And I think we're going to do a giveaway of a buff of corn for, for our listeners. Is that correct? We are. We will give away a buff of corn PFP. The instructions for participation in that will be listed on Yarl's website. We'll share it with our social channels as well. I mean, just light lift stuff, like just go like the pages and do some other things and we'll give one away. You may have to like our Edge of NFT Bufficorn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It may be the most popular <laughs> Bufficorn in OpenSea. Like we actually I did. I guarantee yes. it will be. <laughs> <laughs> we did that with Zed Run. And even though our horses only run a few races, it happens to be one of the most popular horses on OpenSea. <laughs> but anyways, John, how can folks stay in touch with you and sort of learn more about ETH Denver? We do a live stream every Friday from our Twitch channel. So if you haven't joined the Discord yet, I highly suggest doing that. You can find that on our Twitter profile or at ethenver.com or on sporkdow.com. I mean, you can find it all over the place. Sporkdow.org, actually. My apologies there. But yeah, you can come check in with us there. As far as me, I'm at PallerJohn on Twitter. You can find my public ENS address there if you want to send me any NFTs. <laughs> I won't say no to them. That's probably the best way. I mean, if you want to keep up with the current events on what's happening leading up to ethenver, Friday morning, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, we have a live stream that happens every week to talk about the next thing that's happening, like drop the next piece of alpha or just help orient like what's going on, where to go, what to do, how's the schedule going to be, like where do I, you know, when do I need to come into town? Like all of those things are there and it's going to be an insane nine days. So it goes from the 11th to the 20th in its totality. The real meat and potatoes is going to kick off on like the 15th after Valentine's Day. But I'm hearing about a ton of things that are happening that first weekend. The list of events that's happening on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is like pushing 100 side events. It's insane. And then the main event kicks off on Friday or really technically Thursday evening is opening ceremonies. So like that'll be a, that's, that'll be really action-packed. But then the real big day is Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday is the judging and, and sort of final competition. We also have a three-venue after party that will host up to 6,000 people. It'll be the biggest. And we're flying in DJs and artists that are very friendly to the NFT space. 
I mean, we're throwing down. That happens on the evening of the 20th. Before that, we'll have our closing party with our Colorado food show. We've even got a Buffagway IPA custom beer that we've made in partnership with Voss Brewery here in town. So like 5,000 cans of that running around. It's going to be insanely fun. If you're interested in a, in a small kind of low-key chill conference slash hackathon, this is not that one. <laughs> Probably <laughs> Connect, not. build, do something really awesome. February 11th to the 20th. ETH Denver, John, thanks so much for, for joining us today, man. It's amazing. Although I will say we do have a space now that will be dedicated for introverts. So if you do want a quiet, sort of more chill space without a lot of the crazy stuff, yeah, we got that too. <laughs> we got everybody covered. The conference is large enough to have indicated a special place for introverts. <laughs> yeah, love it. It's, it's sensory deprecated space. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, look, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. You are unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops, spirit seeds leading to living tree NFTs, which light the way to our own event, NFTLA, a one-of-a-kind, immersive, and unforgettable experience at LA Live in Los Angeles, March 28th to the 30th. Check it out at nftla.live and move quick on early bird tickets as they are now live and selling out fast. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. And remember, NFTLA is coming March 28th to the 30th. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for the best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved but they're also going very fast. So please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.